Well, if you have your uh, Bible, would you turn with me to 1 John chapter 5? If you don't have a Bible, slip your hands up. The ushers will bring one. We're actually uh, finishing 1 John today. It's, it's ending. Um, and uh, It's kind of funny. I tend to feel like I need to rush through books, and it's like we would just start another book. So as long as we're just sticking in the Word, I don't think it really matters. We're going to actually jump in a few weeks. Um, we're going to jump into Matthew. So if you want to start reading that ahead, that'd be fun. We're excited about that. Um, but have you ever noticed how maybe you've done this or maybe you've experienced this if you're a college student, like when you're about ready to see someone off for like, like a big life change, whether they're getting married or um, they're about ready to go off to college or they're going to kindergarten, you know, they're getting married. There's always someone, whether it's a, a best man or a dad or a grandfather, someone or, or mom or grandma, someone in the life that basically says right before they get ready to walk down the aisle, now remember, blah, and they give this like this last like hurrah, and it's usually never new information, but it's always kind of telling on really what that person views is most important. So, you know, if, if, if the kid's getting ready to marry, it's like, remember, just always serve each other. And that, that's, that's, that's an important thing to know, and that's, that's not new information, but that shows how valuable that is to the person that says to their, the, the spouse. Or if you're going off to college, like, remember, don't, you know, don't, don't lose your faith, or, or whatever it may be. Maybe if your kids are going to car, kindergarten, it's like, okay, don't bite today. Like, you know, whatever, whatever it may be, you have this, this last charge, this kind of, this is, this is important. This is what needs to be said. And, and, and that's where we are in John today. Remember, if you think way back to the beginning of it, um, months ago, John is, is old at this point. He's very old in his age, and he's, he's writing to the church in Asia Minor, a bunch of different churches that were present there, that were dealing with Gnostic belief. Gnostic is, they were basically believing other things about God, and they were making Jesus less of who he really was. They had these beliefs, and they were believing this, this higher enlightenment, like they had gotten this knowledge that, was, that surpassed who Jesus was, and they were starting to affect those in the church. And so this whole time, John has been, been, been battling, like the whole time in the book, he's been saying, look, this is what we know. This is what we know. If, you, if you're a disciple of Jesus, this is what we know. And he's been battling that Gnostic belief with, with this is how we can be confident who Jesus is. And one of the first we knows he started with, one of the first we knows he started with was, we know, you know, that I have firsthand experience of Jesus Christ. He began this whole letter with, look, look, I'm not just talking about some person I heard about. I'm talking about someone I walked with, I ate with, I experienced. I was a part of him seeing the miracles happen and the times he prayed and when he wept, I was there with him. So he begins this letter with, we know, look, I am, I am a firsthand account of this. So don't, don't just displace me as something that's been heard by someone else. I am, I had walked with him. And then last, or last time we were in, John, we talked about sin, and it talked about a brother sinning that doesn't lead to death, and we spent a bunch of time on that, but basically ended it with that all sin is, unlaw- is, is, is unlawful. All sin is lawful, uh, unlawful. All sin is sin, basically. That there's, unlawfulness is sin. That there's, there's no fact, there's no different. You're sinning, it's, it's, it's apart from God. And that's kind of where he ends, and he reminded us, he charged us with, with the confidence we have of who God is. Pray for a brother who is stumbling pray for someone who is messing up. And then he gets us to this where he's kind of the last charge. And, and really it's, it's the three, he does three more we knows um, in, in 1 John. Um, 5, 18 through 21 is where we are. He does three more we knows and then kind of throws a curveball at us at the end. So if, you, if you're there, turn with me. 5, 18 through 21. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who is born of God protects him. Or he who, is, who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. 
And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. So remember, he's, he's talking these Gnostic beliefs, and so he's saying what we know. Now, the word we know can translate a bunch of ways, but it's basically to see or to understand, to, to see with the mind's eye, it signifies a clear and mental perception of something. So this is like, this isn't just like we know, sort of. It's like we really know this. We know this, and we believe this is true. And as he concludes his, his letter, John kind of drives this theme home and hits with three we knows. It says, no one who is born of God keeps on sinning. He says, uh, we are of God in contrast to the world that lies in the evil's power. And then the third one is the Son of God has come and has given us understanding to know the true God. And then without warning, he throws that curveball in right at the end in 21. It says, little children, that's an endearing term. Remember, it's not just because he's older, but here it probably was maybe a little bit charged of, I'm older than you, now pay attention, little children. Guard yourself from idols. And that seems almost completely out of context because he has not talked once about idolatry in all of 1 John. He doesn't, he doesn't hit it at all. But before we get there to why we think he did that, let's talk about the three we knows. Now remember, these are all going to be reviewed because he's already talked about these. And so a lot of times you may hear this and we're going to kind of rush through them and you're going to hear these and go, yeah, yeah, I got that. I would encourage you maybe to go back to the original chapters where these were talked about and really spend some time because, again, this is his last charge. He's, he's writing the end of the letter. At this point, he hadn't written 2nd and 3rd John, okay? So he's writing this, and this is where, it, this is where he's ending it, okay? And this is in it. In verse 18, it's, we know that anyone who's a God, doesn't, who is a son of God, who is a child of God, does not keep on sinning. And that word keep is in a present tense, so it means today, continually doing it over and over and over and over again. We saw this first in, in 1 John 3, 4 through 10. This idea of continual sinning as a way of life. When we're born again, we are of a new nature. Okay, now I want to be careful. John, John has explained in 5.17 that all unrighteousness is sin, um, that there is a sin not leading to death, but he doesn't want us to mistakenly think that we don't sin. Because remember in, in 1 John 1, 8, 10, 2, 1, and 5.16, he specifically talks to believers as you will sin. In fact, in 2, right after we sin, he, he, he says, but don't worry, you have an advocate in the great Christ Jesus, the one we just sang about. You have him standing, pleading your case before the high throne. So, you, so you're, you're going to sin. So when he says don't keep on sinning, he's basically made a line, and we talked a lot about this in three. I'd encourage you to go back. But basically he's making a line saying, those that are of Christ will sin. You will, mis- you will have mistakes, you will mess up, but there's an advocate, there's a high priest, a righteous judge that stands and, and, and pleads your case. So you are, you, are, you are deemed righteous because of what Jesus Christ has done. But... He also wants to make it very clear. If you are a disciple of Jesus, you are, not in, you are not overcome or powered by that sin. You will not live a life of continually sinning over and over again, neglecting God's word. It's a really tough line, and like I said, we spent a lot of time talking about that back then, so I would encourage you to go back there. The second we know is in verse 19. He says, and this is a reinstatement, a restatement of 2.15. So again, you might mark, make a note and go back and look there. And this is that, that we are of God. First of all, we're children of of God. That is a huge thing because there's a lot of people in this room, all of us, that have some kind of daddy or mommy issues, but we have a God who is our dad. He has adopted us as his own kin. He is the righteous God, and he is our father. That is a big deal. But then he also draws this line, and John has done this the entire time. He puts a line in the sand and says, you are of God or of the world. You cannot be both. 
And all John is doing is repeating what Jesus said over and over and over again. But basically he's saying, look, you can't be of this world and of God. You are either of God or of this world. It's the same idea. You can't continue to call yourself a disciple of Jesus and just be continually giving into the same sin over and over again and be completely fine with it. It's this idea that you're of one or the other. And then he throws in this other thing, and this is tough and we don't have time to, to talk about, but basically he tells us that the whole world is under the power or in the arms of the evil one, the great deceiver, Satan, is what he's talking about there. And this is a picture not of frantic captives desperately trying to escape. It's, it's rather that they lie quietly in, in evil clutches, just content with the world. And that's a really hard thing to say, but basically saying for a time, this world is under the power of the evil. And now, that may sound weird and that makes, makes him, you go, oh, but just lift your head up for a second and think about this world. There is so much gross, horrible, bad things in this world. It shouldn't surprise anyone that sin is present in this world, All right? But that is, that is what he says. He says, you're not of that. You're not under that arm. You're not resting in those arms. You are a child of God resting in his arms. So he's drawn this contrast again. And then the third we know, we know which is, I think is the, the most powerful one of this one, is, is in verse 20. He basically is saying, look, Jesus is the one true God. He wasn't some person, a prophet, like some religions do. He wasn't some um, sort of way. He was the way, the truth, and the life. He was everything he claimed to be. He was everything the Old Testament pointed at. He fulfilled all of them. He is it. And there is one God, and Jesus serves his will. And so basically he's saying, look, we know this. We know this to be true, that Jesus is of God, that Jesus is God. He's fully man, fully God. We may not understand that, but we know this. And he says, because we know that, we are children of that God. Because we know that, because we have confidence in that, look at what we have for promises before that. And that was the whole idea that we could have confidence before God in prayer because of who Jesus is. And so what he's doing is he's just battling all these Gnostic beliefs and these heretics and everyone kind of pushing back on everything. And then verse 21 at first glance seems so out of context. Just guard yourself against idols. Just kind of throws it out there like a, just an answer. But if you think about it, verse 20, he just talked about the one true God. This, this makes perfect sense. See, this undoubtedly brought to mind the false gods of the heretics. See, they denied the God of the Bible. And if you think about in Acts 19, we know in the church of Ephesus, which is where this letter would have been sent, there was um, the, the um, temple of Diana or, or um, Artemis, which was basically silversmiths making great money drawing up idols or making idols of this goddess. So he's, he's dealing with the context of, there's a bunch of people struggling with idols, so it makes sense that he would say that. But even more, if you think about it, verse 21 sums up this entire book. If you think back of everything that he's been teaching us over and over and over again, what stands in the face of opposition of God is idolatry. What, what keeps us in this world? It's idolatry. It's idols. In fact, idolatry is making up your own God as a substitute for the one true God who has revealed himself in Jesus Christ. So idolatry is a distorted worship. It's taking even good things and deifying them. Even good things can be idols and we deify them. We make them our God. Idolatry is finding our identity in anything but Jesus. Anything but Jesus. It's something that all of us need to contend with. Pouring ourselves out to anything but God. We are always worshiping something. 
God made us to worship. What are we worshiping? Here's, here's the thing. He's saying, guard yourself. This puts up a picture of being aware, being standing ready. I'm watching for this because it could happen anytime. If you wouldn't say guard yourself if it wasn't a possibility, guard yourself means this could happen to any of us. Every single one of us have to contend with this. Every single one of us. And I know the problem is a lot of us um, think of like false teachers and we think of like idolatry as the, the golden calf that we see in, in Exodus or we think of all these little statues that people will make. But, but may I just say, although that is definitely idolatry, that is not the full extent of it. In fact, I would say that some of us maybe idolize the cross. Hear me on this. The cross signifies amazing things, what Jesus did, but, but the cross isn't Jesus. We idolize pictures of, of, of a Jesus that we think is there. Any, any worshiping of anything physical is, is in opposition of biblical worship. Jesus made this clear. Let me, let me say this real quick because we can sum this section up as this. 5, 18 through 20 was, is, 21 is because of what we know about our relationship with God, be on guard against idols. Because of what we know about him. Now be on guard. Jesus said this in John 4, 24. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. He doesn't say in physical presence and spirit and truth. Although he's worthy of, of, of a very bit of worship in physical presence, but he basically, Jesus set the mark here and said, look, he's not contained to a temple. He's not contained to some little object of, of altar of believing in him. He is spirit and truth. Worship him in spirit and truth. So you and I, maybe we don't struggle as much with, with a golden calf in our, in our yard or we don't see silver and we start putting it together, but maybe we struggle with the food we eat. Maybe we idolize food. Or we idolize beer. See, God isn't, isn't just in physical, he's in spirit and truth. So any form of bowing before pictures or statues or saints or any physical thing is violation to biblical worship. But it isn't just physical. See, the root of all of this is the idol of self. The root of all idolship is, is that we idolize ourself. See, the idolater is, is basically hasn't yielded the, to the throne of God their life. Rather, they want their will, their way. They try to use God. Does this sound familiar to any of us? To get what they want. If this God delivers, they set that God back on the shelf only to be brought out when you need something else again. If he doesn't deliver, they shop around for a better God who gets them what they want. But the idolater doesn't submit to the living and true God. And I am sure of this, and this is what's sick because I've dealt with it all week as I've been studying. We all have false idols in our life. All of us. John wouldn't warn us to be on guard if it wasn't something that we needed to worry about. He wouldn't. See, there's a bunch of us that claim to be disciples of Jesus, but really we're only trying to use God to get a happier or peaceful life. And when trials come, we run. We run. That's idolatry. Romans 1.25, Paul, the Apostle Paul explains it this way. He says, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. See, idolatry is us taking good things, taking things that were created by the creator and worshiping them. So, so what are you worshiping? Yourself? Is, is everyone a means to an end in your life? When, when you don't get that, are you frustrated? Are you mad at them? Wealth? 
about money. You're just trying to make more money. And if I could just get to here, your job, relatives, friends, maybe, maybe you're worshiping or idolized your calling. I feel called to this certain ministry and you've, you've placed that above God. Your families, spouses, your physical appearance, marriage, grades, reputation among men, addiction is a form of idolization. It's just, it's, it's rampant, it's everywhere. And here's what's scary about this. Here's, here's the thing, is some of you have placed, let's, let's say you're, you're single and you want to get married. Man, I just want to be married and there's nothing wrong with that desire. In fact, I would contend that maybe God even gave you that desire, Right? But the problem is, is you've begun to idolize what marriage will look like. And so what happens is, and this is where I think we get in big trouble, is that our idol actually succeeds and we get a spouse. But the problem is then when that spouse is in place, when you would idolize marriage, there's all these expectations to hold it up so it can be worshiped and those expectations will crumble because nothing and no person can ever sustain our worship. Nothing. Jesus Christ is the only one that will sustain that and can take that. Everything else, everyone else will fail us. And so I think sometimes what happens, unfortunately, maybe it's a family. If I could just have a kid. And we start idolizing very good things. It's a blessing to have children. But we be they become our idol. And we begin to place in them our hopes and our dreams and not in the living God. So I think it's interesting because when it comes to idols, really, if you, if you want to try and figure out what you idolize, look at your life and what you're trying to find to get happy or be blessed. Like, look, look to your life. And that's usually where it goes. I want to be happy, so I want X. And you work really hard for that. And again, here's the thing that's, that's hard about that, guys, is that most of the time it's good stuff. Look, some of us idolize church. Some of us idolize our reputation as a Christian. We idolize how we serve other people. Be on guard. Be on guard means it comes from anywhere at any time in our life. All very good things that are meant to be there. See, worship is a biblically faithful understanding of God combined with a biblically faithful response to him. It can't be without. Conversely, idolatry is an unbiblical, unfaithful understanding of God and or an unbiblical, unfaithful response to him. See, here's the thing, guys. You have placed your identity in something other than Jesus Christ. What you idolize, you've placed. Now, if you want to, here's a good test to know if you idolize something. And this is hard, and I have a hard time even saying this, is, is take that which you love most and strip it from you. Take that which you love most and strip it from you. And I'm not saying, like, look, if I lost, I love my kids. If I lost them, I would be mourning. I would be so sad. But would I lose myself to disparity? Because if so, I might have placed my girls above Jesus Christ. Take with that which you love most and rip it from you. And I mean, not like slowly take it from you. Have the bottom fall out. If it's your job, it's your work, it's your health, it's your marriage, it's your church, whatever it may be, if it's stripped from you, where would you stand? And the question basically is, is God enough for you? Because if God is not enough, then you start stepping your foot in the world and stepping your foot in him and try and walk that line. You keep on sinning. You find your identity in all this other stuff. 
that all just crumbles and will not sustain you? Is it your schooling? If I could just get these grades, if I could just get into this program, nothing else was intended to put our hope in. We, we are, we, nothing was made. And those of you that are here that are like, man, I don't know about this Jesus thing. Look, you may be here because you're curious and I, I'm so glad that you're here. Let me just say this to you. Everything in this world, although is, there's some great things, nothing will satisfy. Nothing will fully bring you hope or joy like Jesus Christ. And when I say hope or joy, I'm not talking about some happy life where there's no trials. I'd love to see a show of hands of how many people have been following Jesus. It's been perfect the whole time. <laughs> see, but here's the problem. You take that which you love most, and if you're not careful, you begin idolizing it, and it takes place of the most high God who is on the throne that we just sang willfully about. We're excited to sing about him. Now, will he be that in your worship of your life and not just in singing? Will he truly be your God. So I think it makes perfect sense that John ends with be on your guard against idols. He ends, it starts with little children's an endearing term. Please be on guard. Again, it's taking good things and deifying them. Taking good things and putting them in place where they don't belong. The band's going to come up and we're going to sing some more. But before they do, I just want to again say be on guard. Be, be careful of making a good thing such as marriage or sex or, or kids or work or anything else, taking a good thing and making it a God thing, making it the ultimate thing. Because here's what Jesus said. Here's what Jesus said. He said, anytime we make a good thing an ultimate thing, that's our treasure. And where your treasure is, there your heart is as well. So what he says is that these things that we treasure most, these things that we, we treasure is is inevitably where our heart is going to be. So if God does not have that place in your life, you are following idols. So what is it in your life? What is it in your life? Avoid participating in any religious community where the clear truth claims of Scripture are ignored. Now, I want to be really clear about that. What I am not saying is that you run from the world and don't spend any time in there and isolate yourself. What I am saying is that when you are entering into community, be certain that you know the scriptures are not being ignored. Be certain of that. Because here's the thing, a lot of times we can spend time with people and if we're not on guard, all of a sudden we start believing half-truths. And we see this time and time again in the churches here in the, in the Bible. We see it time and time again in churches that are around now. We've got to be on guard against false idols. We've got, to, we've got to enter into community with all people. I'm not saying isolate yourself, but be on guard. Because a lot of times we'll hear something like, yeah, that sounds good enough, or that sounds just, but it isn't biblically founded. And we start putting our feet on something that isn't in the truth. Let me just say this real quickly. If you are not reading this Bible, if you're not reading his word, and you are a disciple of him, you are in trouble of following false idols. And you want to know how you can really tell if you're, you're, you idolize something? Is if someone that loves you, that's a key, not someone that's condemning you, but someone that loves you comes up and says, hey, it says this right here, and you instantly stiff arm it. Then there is something in you that is idolizing. You're idolizing something in his opposition to what truth says. And instead of embracing truth, you've stiff armed it because you idolize whatever it is in you. So I would encourage you, spend some time reading. 
spend some time looking into your life, figuring out what is it that you are idolizing and asking God to just strip you of that. Maybe spend, your, spend some time in healthy community so community around you can say, look, this is what, this is what the Bible says. What do, you, what, I mean, what do we do about that? But be on guard because it will come at any way, at any form, at any time. And the very best things sometimes make the best idols in our life. And again, like I said, sooner or later, an idol is going to fulfill something. And then you're in real big danger because that idol will never sustain or hold up to our worship. Only God can. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for your word that defines truth, your word that is ever living and active and faithfully keeps us um, to know more and more and more about you. God, I pray for everyone in this room right now as we, as we look at, at the ending of 1 John and even thinking about what idols are, God, as I look this week, there were so many little things in my life that were so close to being that or were, God. I pray that you would strip us of them. I pray the bottoms would fall out and I pray that we'd be drawn nearer and nearer to you a God that is only worthy of our praise, only worthy of our worship. Nothing else will satisfy. Nothing else will do. And so forgive us for even trying. Forgive us for seeking joy and satisfaction and identity in things that don't matter when our joy and, and satisfaction and identity is in you and you alone, God. So I pray as we, as we go about this week, God, would our lives be marked by, by people that truly love you because of what you first did? And that we would actually live a life where we actually can be rid of the idols in our life so that we can be free to fully worship the God who created us and nothing but just the God created God. We love you. And I thank you, thank you so much for, for your love. And I pray, God, that each of us would be free of idolatry, that each of us would be free of that and we'd be able to freely worship you as the Most High King, the Lord of our lives, the Savior, the only one that is worth all adoration and all praise. It's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.